Clubhouse. Welcome to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home with your hosts, Beth Kushnick and Caroline Daly. Welcome to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home. This is Caroline. Hey, Beth. Hi, Caroline. I'm happy and excited to share another great guest for this week's episode. This week, we sat down with Rochelle Williams, the executive producer and showrunner of Star's critically acclaimed series, Run the World. The timing is perfect on this one because Run the World returns for season two on Friday, May 26th at 9.30 Eastern and 8.30 Central on Stars and the Star streaming platforms. Beth, I remember when you told me you had gotten the job as set decorator for season two, you had mentioned that you hadn't taken over a show before, which seems shocking to me. But I know that it was discussed a little bit in the interview, but tell us a little bit about the process and the experience of getting a job for an existing show and how you handle coming in as something that's already had an established look? Well, it was the first time that I've been asked to take over for a, an additional season on a show. But I knew going in that this season, season two, was going to be different just from the start. It was originally four stars mm -hmm. in the show, and we knew that this season was going to be the three girls that remained. So that dictated some of the inner workings of the script writing and trying to figure out how to tell the story now for season two. And there were a lot of story changes and hence uh, a lot of opportunity to build some of the biggest sets that I've ever worked on for a TV show. That's wild. I, I would never have guessed that, Beth, that this is the first time you would take over for someone else's work. I, I just I guess I take for granted that you've done so many things that surely this must have happened before. But for real, this is your first time taking yeah, over. It is. This is wow. this is my year of first, you know, uh, taking <laughs> over a show for a second it. season, doing a horror movie. You know, it's uh, it's really been interesting. It's You're stepping my, out there, man. Yeah. Yeah, Next I time am. you're going to be like, I've been hanging out on AI a lot. Yeah, and a out of my GPT. comfort zone. <laughs> I love it. Well, this week's guest, Rochelle Williams, was also new to the series this season. What impressed you most about Rochelle and seeing her work as not only an EP, but also the new showrunner? Well, from the start, she was totally a calming influence on everybody. You know, she set the tone and it was great and also participated a lot, I found, both in my work and the production designer's work, the costume designer's work, all the pieces that sort of lend authenticity. And as we know, I love to do character-driven work. So I thought that was really something to have someone so involved. And she was really collaborative. As we said, when we talked with her, you know, it was sort of an interesting scenario where the way that this job functioned, 
because we were working during COVID was we all did go to the office and we were all sitting in small individual offices, all that opened on an area that was a bullpen where the production office was. But we were all there and also meeting on Zoom. It was sort of the best of both worlds, um, something that I hadn't experienced before, because you knew that if you really needed someone, they were right there. But we did the Zoom thing, which works really well. And I think the best thing about working on that job was just the collaboration was so nice with everybody you know, every department. I love when you said that she was like a really calming influence. That type of person is so welcome on on those types of jobs that are so busy and chaotic, you know, have like a big warm blanket come on. You're like, Yay. That's her personality <laughs> and her style. It's wonderful. That's terrific. I mean, that brings such good vibes to, to any set. And I know for you, you said like, you know, this year you've had a lot of new things, but really the last three years, really since 2020, every day seems to be something new that you have to adjust within your job. Yes. So, I mean, looking at this challenge of this show, was there something new that you did with your set deck work on Run the World that you could elaborate a little bit for our listeners? There was, I think, telling the story of three young women in Harlem is a new story for me to tell and to uh, put my eye on and, and my concept of style on. And I think we pushed the envelope a little bit. I think we went back and redid some things that weren't working. I try to take the trend out of my work. You know, I try to do things visually that really will last and not stand out too much, but support the story, the script and the characters. But for this, we got to go a little wild. We did a big wedding with incredible flowers. We did an art studio with very authentic, all different kinds of art that turned into a wedding venue, another wedding venue. And we did, I would say, less traditional, more arty and creative work. And then we built an apartment, a huge set that was really interesting. It had outdoor space that we built and we green screened the outside. So there were a lot of things that pushed both the envelope and I'd say I had a pretty good budget. So it, hey. it was it was really nice. <laughs> That's awesome. I've talked about, you know, ordering wallpaper from overseas and I think I was the most challenged by supply chain issues and yet found some new vendors and got lucky with some old ones and it all worked out. Well, I'm really excited for everyone to hear this interview. So let's get to it. Now our interview with Rochelle Williams, executive producer and showrunner on Stars Run the World. Oh, and it's not your ears, you guys. This is Beth with our wonderful producer, Mike, who jumped in at the last minute to cover for me on this interview. So thank you so much to Mike for doing that. And please enjoy our interview with Rochelle Williams. Joining us today is Rochelle Williams, the executive producer and showrunner of the Star's critically acclaimed series, Run the World. Rochelle, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being with us. You started as a writer and have a Bachelor of Science from Boston University. Tell us a bit about your path to Hollywood. Oh, yeah, it was kind of zigzaggy. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm born and raised in Stone Mountain slash Lithonia, Georgia, kind of split growing up between those two towns right outside of Atlanta. And from jump, like from the moment that I didn't have like a biology teacher in ninth grade is somehow how I got into writing and mm-hmm. creative writing. And I just was like, by ninth grade, I was like, I think I want to be a screenwriter. That was the career I decided on. I started writing really terrible little movies and projects in high school that no one ever read. I wrote more stuff in college that no one ever read. And then finally, but after I graduated from BU, I mean, people read some stuff, but I was always like kind of very shy and reserved. And, you know, in college, I kind of got out of my shell a little bit. And then, you know, when I graduated from college, it was time to make that big move. And, you know, do you go to New York? Do you go to L.A.? I went back to Atlanta for a few months and I said, no, nah, this isn't it. And drove across the country in my old Jeep with my, and my mom helped me. And I just packed a Jeep full of stuff and didn't go right to Hollywood, went to Van Nuys first. And found, that's uh, that's in the Valley. <laughs> and I found a studio apartment that was somewhat affordable. And yeah, but the goal was to be a writer. Me and an old friend of mine, we became writing partners. Yeah, I just did every kind of gig. I worked in reality TV. Uh, I've been a production coordinator. I've been I've been a music clearance supervisor. I've been a punch-up writer. I've been a ghost writer, um, assistant. So I've done everything. And then finally kind of got, I guess, like my big break in, in when I was staffed with Survivor's Remorse, which is on Stars. So this is kind of full circle. So now yeah. Very bookend book for your career, yeah. for sure. yeah. Your career took you through a bunch of different writing rooms and producer roles, and and now you've landed at uh, Run the World. Tell us a bit about the show where, like I said, uh, when this drops, the premiere of season two is coming out in just two days. For those that maybe haven't seen the show or just catching up on season one, getting ready for season two, tell us a bit about the show and tell us why you think it's important that we're telling this group of friends stories. Well, the show is really fun. The way I kind of got to know the show, I was in my office on Love Life, which is the HBO Max series, and I've been the co-showrunner. And I was just really kind of packing up my office because we had just wrapped. And then I got a call from Lionsgate, you know, asking, would I be interested in coming over to run the world? And I was like, huh, yeah, I could think I could be interested. I, I'd seen a couple episodes of the show earlier, but I, I binged it again and Really, it was such a vibrant, positive, fun, upbeat world. These fantastic friends, they looked so good and they were so funny and eloquent and amazing and they had these jobs. And what interested me was just the pressure that falls on Black women to have it all, to have to succeed, have the best marriage, have the best friends, have the best everything, and what it takes to try to attain that and where where you can kind of fall and not attaining that. And then the friends being there to support you and pick you back up. And so that's just really what drew me to the show. And with season two, one is to just continue that and wanting to fill out the world and characters even more and really focus on growth and change. Um, Cause we did have a big change this season with not having one of the, this is not a spoiler, but um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the character Ella is not in this season. And so that was really one of those things that will, you know, first, how do we deal with that? So like any showrunner, you get, you get a lot of stuff thrown at you, but it, it gave us space to really focus on the other ladies and really amplify their storylines and really dig into what life was like as you're trying to be successful. So I was just really, but I was just immediately drawn to the world and to the women. 
and just how different they are really did give us an opportunity to dive deep. In your work as executive producer and showrunner, tell us about some of your specific responsibilities, like as a showrunner. What as a showrunner are you responsible for? First and foremost, I am like the creative leader of the show. So it all starts in the writer's room. Uh, I put together my season two writer's room and we got started and we just started arcing out the season and and focusing on characters and specifically Renee, because she was the one going through a divorce. And, you know, what does that look like and what does her future hold? And, you know, uh, Sandy was kind of in flux with with her advisor as, as a grad student and she's with an older man and she's kind of playing stepmother to his daughter and also season one ends on the cliffhanger of Whitney and her fiance Ola. And she reveals to him that she had an affair at the end of season one. And we don't know if the wedding will happen with those cliffhangers in front of us, getting that together, exploring that breaking story, writing eight new episodes. So that's the first and foremost thing of a showrunner is to be that person that not only beat out the season, but help writers with their scripts, assign scripts, do a final pass, respond to network notes. So that's the first thing. Then I move right over to production, sometimes needing to rewrite scripts uh, aligns with production. That's the most hectic time. Yes, um, it is. But yeah, so then, you know, I moved to New York and got clothes in place. And then you meet with the directors and you meet with all the department heads. We had a wonderful production designer, Michael Fitzgerald. And he was, you know, I think we really bonded because we were both new to the team. Uh, he was not the season one production designer. I was not the season one showrunner. And I was not the season one set decorator. So I, I, right, I do right. think that we yeah. all entered into it kind of with fresh eyes. You know, and right, uh, right. Uh, we we certainly kept the things that were working, and um, we switched up, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and 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 we had opportunities to now as we develop really build environments for these characters. I, I think it's always an interesting thing when when new people come into an established show. So this question is going to be for both of you. I want to, uh, Rochelle, I want to start with you first. H- how do you approach balancing what's already existing and, and the tone of a show that you're inheriting? It already has eight half-hour episodes uh, under its belt. How do you balance that against putting your own voice into the show, especially when you're taking over for, you know, Lee Davenport was the creator and, and Yvette Lee Bowser. This is the person who created Living Single, you know, a groundbreaking show mm-hmm. in, in the genre and and you're taking it over is there trepidation do you feel like a tightrope at all when you're assuming that helm absolutely you know initially i was scared <laughs> i was like you know and that fear of like will this live up to the charm and in essence of season one am i making the right decisions but ultimately i had to put that away like well don't put t- too much pressure on yourself because the show has been laid out for you you know what season one was you know these women you've watched this show over and over again front and back i kind of just made season one like a part of me i feel like and then i could jump into breaking those new stories but yeah the balance is very important because you know obviously i'm going to have my own ideas but i do want the tone and style to stay very close to season one mm-hmm. i don't want it to feel like a showrunner change I want this show, like any show, I think all shows get better season by season. You know, I kind of I kind of was thinking about shows like Seinfeld or Friends or, or even Living Single and, and Martin and all these, you know, sitcoms where season one is still finding itself and still figuring out what works. And then season two, 
it feels more like a well-oiled machine. Right, that, so that, that seamless I, transition yeah. behind the scenes. Right. So taking all the good of season one and keeping all that and then trying to elevate the show to a story that's really getting really deep with the women, really exploring who they are as they continue in their 30s and those life changes. So, yeah, I, I think it, I think it's pretty well balanced this out yeah, season two. You, you've kind of come up in the new world order of eight episode seasons, 10 episode seasons. Do you ever think to yourself, man, I wish I had, you know, a, a 22, 24 episode season like like Martin or Living Single or Friends or Seinfeld would have had to get it all right and work out the kinks? It, it, has to be more pressure right. with so little time to get it done and tell that story. I still would never wish for 22 episodes <laughs> as a showrunner. <laughs> it's so hard. I mean, I wished it for like my writers, you know, but we had a we had pretty long room. We had about like a 22 week room, which oh, nice. is pretty standard for an eight to 10 episode order. But yeah, my whole career was spent like doing, okay, this room is, you know, 20 weeks, but this one's 16 weeks. This one's 10 weeks. This one's 14 weeks, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I I was really just a gigging writer up until I got Love Life. So, but I'd worked on the sitcom, I worked on the show Mixed Dish. That was 23 episodes. And even I was just a, you know, producer on the show and I, you know, just covering set a few times and being in the trenches and like, it's just endless, you know, and I went on maternity leave and the show was still going. I was like, that's how long the show is. I <laughs> only took eight weeks off to have a baby <laughs> and it, I come back and we still have eight episodes left. Oh so, only a set decorator yeah. with, likes a, a 22 or 23 episode season because right. you always are balancing the budget by pushing it to the next episode so when, right. when yeah. you when you have 22 chances to defray the costs it's it. much better you're all about the amortization of it yeah, all totally <laughs> the amort budget uh well beth i, I mean the, the question goes for you as well coming into a show that's already established there there's a look there's a feel the production design is the production design but as a set decorator we talk every week on this podcast about the intimate objects that you put into the set that make it feel lived in and make that world feel real how do you go about coming into an existing established look of a show against making changes and putting your own spin on things? I've never been in that situation, believe it or not. So both Michael and I decided to, of course, do it with respect, but also put our personal spin on things. And I think the biggest change that we might have made visually had a lot to do with color and scale. You know, we were also in new stages and it gave us a chance to expand sets and change them around. You know, in the first season, you learn from everybody's point of view, whether it's, you know, we had our brilliant costume designer, Pat Field, to our DPs, to everyone sort of what works and what doesn't. And you want to give them the most functional standing sets in the hopes that the show will come back and those sets will be standing for many years. And also, you know, a different kind of take on locations sort of based on where we were because we shot in Yonkers. So, you know, we kept certain things and we put our spin on new sets and certainly our biggest work, you know, we, we had large sets to build and that was sort of ours to uh, show what we could bring to the table for the look of the show. And the three girls instead of four 
the main characters, it developed a kind of different rapport and relationship. And we worked very closely with the costume designer about who each one of them was with their colors and their style. And, you know, it was great because they're, they're all incredibly dynamic looking and their spaces reflected that. Yonkers, the Manhattan of Westchester County. I've always, yes. I've always said that. Uh, Rochelle, when, as showrunner, as an executive producer, but as a showrunner, you have to probably interact with all these departments, you know, the set decorator, the production designer, costume maker, and, and bring that all together. How much are you inclined to, like, input your voice into what they're doing, or do you rather kind of let, sit back and let them come to you? Collaboration versus forcing your will on, on, those, on those kinds of uh, decisions. Well, I know I definitely never forced my will on anyone. I was very collaborative. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, but great department heads all around. If I bumped with anyone, it was probably wardrobe and over little stuff, you know, oh, let's not wear these earrings or these boots or you know, like and right. they were they were a feisty group and I loved them. But I do I love their style. And also whenever I walked on set, I was always amazed. And I could see the collaboration between the departments because one of my favorite setups was the cigar lounge. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was on location, but the world that came into it was just brilliant. And then what's cool about it is that they, these leather chairs and this very cool lighting and the smoke and, but also the guys are wearing bright colors against the leather. You know, and it's mm-hmm. just very, just gorgeous. It's just one of my favorite scenes. And all, just everything was very meticulous, particularly with like night shoots or night scenes. So two of the apartments were sets from season one. And one was a location apartment. So with them expanding on Sandy's and Renee's apartments this season, it just felt more comfortable. It felt easier to shoot in. And I feel like we got to kind of do more camera work in those apartments they really explored and used every inch of the studio space yes i think you know sometimes it would come to me particularly michael because you know he wanted me to get my eyes on something you know we would talk about the vision but i'll say this i did pretty much leave wardrobe costume design alone because i am not a fashionista by any (laughs) means (laughs) um i mostly wore sweats on set (laughs) like uh you know, because they're showrunners that really, they really match the tone of the show and they're always elevated in makeup. Like, not me. I'm here to do the job. No, I you're like, for real. Like, yeah. Comfy yeah. clothes. Comfy so clothes like, is the yeah. way to go in, in 2022, 23, for sure. Yeah, I just, but also like, you know, I'm not on camera. I want them to feel like they can get to me, you know, so I don't, I don't spend extra time to prepare in that because I just, I want to be on set and be able to facilitate and be able to answer questions and like be able to talk to props about something and, you know, any kind of department. So I tried to be pretty accessible on set. Of which you really were. You know, I valued your input for very specific things. You know, we would have a prop meeting and talk about things that cross over in my department and, you know, whether it was about what they were eating at the dinner table or what food was being served, what kind of feeling it should have. I mean, everything that Rochelle sort of led us to was authentic. That was really, really important to Michael and I, and we got such good feedback and such good input about, 
that wouldn't happen in that family or like we did a funeral home that, you know, whatever it was, just the tone be right. And that was something that I always try to achieve in character laden dressing. And, and we did that a lot to consider much deeper these characters and how they were being written and represented in season two. Yeah, I totally agree with that. What can you tell us about your experience as a woman in the film and television business when it is even today still mostly male dominated, even more so in comedy? You know, it's interesting because, you know, I'm a black woman and I was I was the showrunner of the show and still most of the crew, you know, is white, you know, or men particularly. And um, it's always just like, you know, I guess I'm the boss of all these guys. So that kind of feels good. You But at the same time, you, you do hope to start to see more diversity in specific departments. I know Michael was very aware of wanting to bring in more women, more people of color. My wonderful line producer, Caroline, was always mindful of that. But, you know, it could be tough. You know, it could be tough. So me as a writer, I didn't necessarily have to jump through some of the same gatekeeping hoops of people that are crew. You know, even we had a really hard time getting a certain hairstylist because they weren't a part of this union and you have to get waivers. And it's just like, it just to me, it feels like a lot of gatekeeping sometimes. And the only way to get more women and more people of color on set is to not have these strict rules. And to be open to training them. Right, right. You know, but I was very happy. Um, the show was edited by all women, uh, and one was a woman of color. And um, I had a woman post-supervisor, uh, well, co-producer, Amy, and wonderful post-team, very diverse. So it can, it, but it is kind of jarring. I, I didn't really struggle with this, but something you can struggle with is imposter syndrome. Mm. You know, I've heard a few horror stories to, you know, to be real about Black women directors on the show and Black women showrunners who crew talking about them behind their back, saying they're not qualified, saying they're not good at this. You know, that's very harmful because people have to get a start somewhere and we still need diversity in directing. So if this is someone's first episode of, you know, officially directing, they may not know all the jargon. They may not know everything yet. You know, they didn't come up you know, as uh, work their way up from assistant camera or ADs and things like that. But they do, they do have talent. They right. do. They, they know, pay their dues yeah. in other ways. You know, yeah. They're, they're, and yeah. we had so many new, fresh talent, but they were also so willing to ask for my input, for assistance. Uh, you know, uh, they wanted it all to be right. And part of it is just being friendly and nice you know Mm -hmm. they're so appreciative and it was just had such a good tone all the time on set that uh i think they got a great experience on run the world and hopefully we'll be back and and some of them will come back and it'll be different because one show can break you you know one episode Mm -hmm. can break you in you're making me tempt asking Rochelle already about season three news and Lord, I mean, season two hasn't even premiered yet. Yeah. I get on that phone to stars right away. So. Right. Yeah. We're very, we're very excited for this premiere. It's been a, a long time coming, but I really am excited for everyone to see this world again, you know, and to see the changes, see them growing, see all the little things that we've put into it to make it even more entertaining and raise the level and more intricate. So I'm, I'm very excited. 
there has been quite a, a delay between the seasons. I'm assuming, like everything else in the industry, it was COVID related or or at least a, a, a contributing factor to it. How was it shooting the show and putting it together? in this still COVID time, but a little bit past it where maybe restrictions are maybe a little less, what was it, was it still a, a hindrance at all? Or did you find that it held back the process of, of putting together a TV show? Right. Well, let me think of my political answer. Uh, no, actually <laughs> um, there are little hiccups along the way sometimes, but mm -hmm. everyone was very you know, safe and it was really pretty smooth. But it's one of those things that it does feel like it can slow things down and there's a lot of protocol and, you know, all the prep meetings have to be on Zoom and things like that, um, right. where you really feel like you could do better if you're able to, I guess, be more in person and, you know, just not have this wall up a lot of times. But the COVID department did a great job. I, I think in delays, you know, posts could take a long time. And then ultimately, stars has to find the right time you know right. with their slate of shows you know so i'm excited because you know it is a summer series yeah it's the perfect summer series it's exactly yeah. what you want to be doing in, in may june yeah. july for sure i remember exactly. one of the best days on the job we were a couple of departments wardrobe dp set deck and and production design were were prepping to do a presentation to the network and in those covid days we were still going to the production office and everyone was masked and we were tested constantly three times a week and but we all went into our individual offices and went on zoom for this meeting <laughs> and it it was like a home run and simultaneously, all the meeting ended, we got off the Zoom, and all of our doors opened, and we That's were so like, funny. you know, high-fiving everywhere because <laughs> they were really happy with the presentation. And it was the weirdest, most awkward thing that we were right. just all separated, and then we were all together. Let's gather to be isolated. Yeah, did, exactly. Did, did you run the writer's room virtually, or were you actually gathered all together? I know that's that been a bane. Virtual. Okay, yeah. I, I, how did, has yeah. How, have you have you acclimated to that yet? No, I've talked to a lot of writers over the last couple of years. Some love it because they like to write in isolation, but I feel like the majority like the camaraderie and chemistry of being in the room together, and and have missed that in the Zoom era of writing rooms. Yeah, I I love the Zoom room because I'm a mom. I have a toddler. Nice. Um, I'm tired of driving. LA's a giant <laughs> city. <laughs> you know, especially to for like, you know, meetings and things, you know, because there's so many meetings in, in Hollywood that could have been an email. So right. at least it was just a Zoom. But also I knew a few of my writers before and uh, we did get together for like dinner. It still felt very warm, even on the Zoom, because it was just a, you know, a really great group. So like these writers are just like, look, I looked forward to getting on Zoom, you know, and we were efficient and we were having fun. So the Run the World writers room was my third Zoom room. My first one was uh, the show uh, on True TV called Tacoma FD. And it was their first Zoom room too. And I remember when the pandemic happened though, I was out of work because I was on like another maternity leave. And, and then when I got back into it, I was like, I was starting to get jealous. So everyone's in a Zoom room. I want to be in a Zoom room because my <laughs> last room was in person. And, and it went okay. And then the next one was Love Life. And that was a Zoom room. 
that one was okay too. It that one was more difficult because it was a very tough story to break. Right. But I'm glad we weren't in person because I felt like we would have been there till ten, eleven o'clock a lot of times had it not been for Zoom. But we figured that out. And so with Run the World, I kind of knew how to do the Zoom room, how to make it personable, how to make it work. But you know, of course, I miss the camaraderie and the snacks and the free lunch. And um, <laughs> you know, there's only so much sweet green you can eat every day, though. Or, right, you know, right. right. So. You know, you know. I so mean, I think I've said yeah. this before, but in a way, the Zoom process helps what I do, what the production designer does, because it really focuses everyone's attention on the visual, and we share the screen, and it makes it really actually incredibly efficient that aspect mm-hmm. of it you know that mm-hmm. that everyone gets to approve and see and weigh in all looking at the same stuff at once it's you know has its issues in in reality when you're dressing a set and stuff and acquiring set decoration but those meetings are are really efficient I, w- I want to talk a little bit about your your writing process, if that's okay, uh, Rochelle. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think people appreciate how hard it is to write good comedy that feels natural, and even more so, good dramedy that mixes that drama elements and comedy elements, and and doesn't hinder the narrative. H- how do you go about breaking your stories? How much are you actively thinking about making it fun or or funny? Without it's not it's the, the show is not you know telling jokes every thirty seconds, but there is a, a comedic element to it, a drama element to it how do you go about that process and finding that balance when you're breaking story yeah you never want it to feel too written but you know jokes come from character mm-hmm. you know so if the the character is well defined you know their pov then those jokes come naturally versus feeling forced or anything so i think the drama part i felt it was easier to craft because we did have season one and we have these cliffhangers so goal is like well let's pay some of these things off and let's set up some new things first kind of breaking story breaking the season arc you know where do you want renee to end up at the end of the season where do you want sandy when you want Whitney to end up and how did they get there and just every little piece of their journey from being insecure about a breakup to finding yourself you know, in your loneliness and figuring some stuff out. But a breakup can be funny. You know, a breakup can be, you know, all these things, you know, that your reactions to them. So I think, you know, just kind of mapping out the season first, you know, just like, okay, this is where we want to go. And then the specifics of every episode. Okay, well, what's what's the story here? What's the story we're trying to tell? Okay, so this story is about reinvention. So that's the theme of this episode, you know, or this one is about coming into your own. You know, so like that's the story you want to tell for Sandy, for example. Like episode three is a great episode about Sandy. Like, oh, do I not need to be under this professor? And, you know, kind of her starting to spread her wings and realize who she is. So hitting those thematic marks, helping us break the story and giving the okay, so what happens? And then, you know, just breaking the episode and then outlining it and um, putting some jokes in the outline, getting that outline approved, and then just having fun writing the script. We got it all laid out. So then you just, you just kind of have fun with the dialogue and kind of, you know, the little scenes and jokes that kind of don't connect to the story, but like a little runner or a little, you know, so I just, I guess my process is just to really have fun with it, but make sure that it's all tracking. 
Now, this show airs on stars. It's not on network TV. It's not basic cable. Um, there can be an edgy element to it. Uh, I'm curious, though, as, as a writer, how much do you find you have to change with the times and adjust to what may be politically correct in, say, 2023? Or do you go more and push the envelope if the story calls for it and not worry too much about the PC element of it? Yeah, that's interesting. Because, yeah, I think if the story requires something that is risky or erotic or whatever that is, if it's a sex scene, if it's, you know, a crazy moment, like I'm a big fan of the show Pea Valley. Oh, yeah. And obviously, yeah. And obviously, I know Run the World doesn't need those elements. You know, it's like, okay, this is a because also, too, like, I always get kind of weirded out when there's too much sex and comedy. Like, I remember um, being in the theater seeing Wedding Crashers, and it's a very funny movie. But there's a sex scene where just all these women are falling back onto the bed and and their tops are off. And it's like, what is the point of this? Yeah. Yeah, like, just the male gaze, was, just the just yeah, appeal. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And so that's my thing, too, like not to just, you know, entertain the male gaze because I'm like, ultimately, you know, yes, the show's for everyone, but it's for women. Yeah. It's for women. I've seen know? some of the men you have and on I, that show, though. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're doing okay with the female gaze. I'm just, I'm just saying. Right. I'm just saying. Yeah, we had fun on that's, set. That, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Because that's who I care about first for this. Because there are all kinds of shows that can cater to men and women, you know, a drama or relationship show, you know, like one of my favorite shows is um, Happy Endings. And I'm just like, I know guys love happiness. And, you know, so that's the thing, like this relationships. But for Run the World, I want, you know, black black women are the center and they're the core audience. And that's why I really want to enjoy it. And I think all can enjoy it, but that's who I'm thinking about first. And I'm also thinking about the actresses, you know, because when it's the second season, they've seen the first season. And so they have thoughts, they have notes coming in, you know, so I'm trying to, you right. know, so things like, oh, you know, this season, I'd like to try this, or this season, I'd like to try that. So I have to take all that into account because, you know, these are my stars, you know, so. Yeah, and they embody their well. characters, they right. embody right. their characters. And right. those girls took their environments very seriously. They, mm-hmm. they were involved in such a great way. They appreciated the work and were really communicative about it. It was, it, it was really enjoyable to see them come in and, and look over everything. Rochelle, tell us, what advice do you yeah. have for our listeners who are hoping to make it as a writer or a showrunner? Obviously, keep writing when you make it as a writer, you do get to write a little less, I'll say, <laughs> you know, cause you know, <laughs> yeah. you have a, a reputation. So that's kind of sweet. Um, you know, but ultimately at the start, you just have to write, you have to, and also write what you like and what you know. I think there's a lot of writers that try to follow trends and like, Oh, everyone's doing this. Well, I'll come mm-hmm. up with this, you know, I'll do this. And it's like, no, because it'll, the pages will, won't be genuine. Like I can tell I'm actually teaching a screenwriting class at BU and you got to be passionate about the subject. That's going to come through. That's the main thing. And then I think reading your friend scripts, working with people, getting to know people in an authentic, sincere way and looking for opportunities, you know, when you see it, but still being genuine about it, because the more you get to know people in Los Angeles or New York or wherever you are, the more naturally you'll get to the next level or you'll, you know, because it really is like, oh, I know this person, they'd be a good assistant. So you're just working your way up, getting to know people organically would be my advice because showrunners do remember if you're kind of trying to play them or be phony or, you know, like everyone thinks LA people are phony, but like actually like we can see through the phoniness. Um, and that would be my advice for 
young or up and coming writers is be yourself, be authentically yourself. I think it's important to not be so attached to your work because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a ever evolving situation. And I find people starting out in the, in the business so attached to their work that they can't really see past it. But, um, I'm so impressed with production assistants, people that I find who are just staying in touch and they're just communicating and I have an opportunity. I'm I'm going to remember them and hopefully see them again. Oh, and then my advice for showrunners really quickly, if you want to be on that track, that's where I would agree. Like you have to be flexible. You can't be precious about everything because the higher up you get, the more voices you're going to have, they're going to have input network studio and you have to be a people person in that regard if you are a i don't know what's the guy that does euphoria (laughs) like not to throw shade but if you're that married to everything it has Mm. to be so specific okay maybe you're a genius but no one likes you (laughs) so i would say finding that balance you know and if you want to be a tyrant you might want to make a movie because tv is a little different and you know people you know we put a lot of hours into this and you really want to have a great environment on set and in your writer's room right. and with your network, because they're the ones that are going to tell you if you get another season or not. And there are showrunners that have not got another season because they just weren't likable. You know, just good advice. Take, yeah, like that's it, what I would say. It's so collaborative. And I think people maybe don't think about that or realize that. Look at a TV show's credits. It's not written, directed, uh, starred, edited, you know, post-production all by one person. There's just so many people that you have to work with. You know, so mm-hmm. know who you are, but for sure be be collaborative. Seems like fantastic advice, not just in in Hollywood. I, I think in almost every profession, uh, being right. collaborative and and trying to be likable and and someone who can work with others is is just good life advice. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we'd love to spill the tea here. We, we're going to let you go in a second. We've kept you really long, longer than I thought we were going to go. Uh, but we love to spill the tea. So we would love if you could tell us without being spoilery, any behind the scenes stories you want to share or a favorite memory from shooting the season that, that comes to mind. Just some like behind the scenes tidbit that you think about as as you've done with the show now for the season and you're and we're getting ready to watch it. What, what can uh, listeners take away? One of my favorite moments was um, we were shooting an episode and one of the actresses realized we were in the same house as uh, where they shot Boomerang, Marcus's apartment. Oh, that's and cool. um, what's funny, because I was telling Michael, our production designer, knew I'd been like obsessed with that apartment. I even sent him like pictures of like, okay, I think this should look like this, you know, and uh, and it was always Eddie Murphy's apartment from Boomerang. <laughs> that was always like my <laughs> reference. And then to shoot there, we, we were just like freaking out, like, oh, this is where Marcus said Halle Berry, ha-, you know? So that oh, was really fun to, you know, to get hyped up about a location. And, but yeah, in terms of the season, be prepared for, I think, some big changes and surprises. Shift some things up a little bit. Yeah, just be prepared for more of these women asserting themselves and being strong and independent and not worrying so much about what other people think. You know, I just think thematically, because that's the thing, too, like I'm 38 now. And, you know, when I think about being in my very early 30s, you know, I was, you know, I was insecure and, you know, wanted to try and fit in and all these things. But as I got older and more established, it's like, you know, it's you really just have to be yourself. 
And I think that's what we're, you know, we're seeing this season. And I just really love these characters. And yeah, I don't want to give anything away. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't. But, we'll, we'll, have to come, we'll have to have you back on the, to to yeah. spill all the tea afterwards. Once watch it with your girlfriends. You know, watch it with right. your girlfriends. Really, uh, Beth. I will I... say which my I will say what my favorite episode is this season. Ooh. My favorite episode is episode four, uh, written by Kalichi Urama. It just turned just like it just. I love that episode so much. That's, that the, that's like the mid-season episode too mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. are always the good ones those are always the good yeah. ones uh beth i know you like to hide items around the set as like your own little personal easter eggs is there anything that you did on this show that you can tell us or that you want to tell us or that we should be on the lookout for you know what what we did on this show is we had a certain amount of stage space I think the biggest thing that we pulled off, which will be hard to tell, although people can check out my Instagram and I might give you some hints, but literally (laughs) uh, we built sets and then turned them over practically overnight to be something else. Like uh, Mm -hmm. we built a therapist's office and the next day it was someone's workout room and we built a funeral home and the next day it was something else. And we used the configuration and, uh, you know, Michael did an incredible job of uh, figuring out how we could take those four walls and re-wallpaper them or repaint them and put in different floor covering and use it again. So it gave us an opportunity as a company to spend more time at the stage, which is always good in COVID times, especially. But we did a lot of our own interdepartmental magic, I think. Those were more of our kind of inner tricks of the trade, but they really worked. I love the. I love TV magic. How can you not be romantic about television when you hear stuff like that? It's the best. No, it was an amazing crew. They were all amazing. I walked into just professionals. So my job was easy. They all, everyone knew what they were doing. We, you know, gave them a vision. Okay, let's make sure the art's kind of this. I want to skew more, you know, African and, Mm -hmm. you know, this kind of art. And they found everything that they needed. So this was just a crack squad. So, yeah, so thank (laughs) you, Beth. And yeah, it it made my job easy. So y'all are rock stars. Thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Uh, I'm sometimes on Twitter, usually tweeting about Love is Blind, but um, um, so that's... <laughs> Your timeline at, is very filled with Love is Blind right now. Yeah, uh, or complaining, but yeah, uh, at Rochelle RW, is, I'm on Twitter, and that's, uh, that's the only one uh, that's public right now. Okay, good. I love that. Rochelle, again, thank you for joining us today. Listeners, make sure you mark your calendars. Run the World Returns for Season 2 on Friday, May 26th at 9.30 Eastern Pacific Time, 8.30 Central. New episodes will also become available at midnight Eastern Time via the Stars app and all of Stars' streaming and on-demand platforms. Rochelle, thanks again, and uh, good luck with the season, and and hopefully we'll be back to talk about Season 3 at some point. That'd be awesome. And uh, you were great for Caroline. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Big yeah. shoes to fill. So I, 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 I take that as a compliment. Thank you very much. A big thank you to Rochelle Williams for making the time to speak to us. I'm excited for everyone to see the new season of Run the World. I think fans are already excited themselves. And I hear a lot of people are waiting for the second season to see what happens. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. Run the World returns for season two, Friday, May 26th at 9.30 Eastern and 8.30 Central. New episodes will also become available at midnight Eastern time 
anytime via the Stars app and all Stars streaming and on-demand platforms. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to your home at Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave a five-star review. It helps a lot in promotion of the show. Five stars, people. Thanks so much for listening. Decorating the set from Hollywood to your home is an original Pod Clubhouse production. Recorded, edited, and produced at Pod Clubhouse Studios. For more information, please visit us online at podclubhouse.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Decorating the Set at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. <laughs>